You have found Off the Edge Podcast with Matt, Zach, and occasionally Q. I'm Zach Lyon. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd very much appreciate it if you would rate and review it on whatever listening platform you are using, whether it be Spotify or Google Podcast or whatever you're using. Also, if you find us on YouTube, it would be great if you would subscribe and click that little bell icon so that you can be notified of new episodes. This is episode seven of Off the Edge Podcast, and joining us today is a guest that we are super excited to have with us. He is a computer scientist out of the University of Kansas. He's a Kansas City native. He was the chief technology officer and a partner of Mycroft AI, former vice president of engineering at Rhythm Engineering, former senior programmer at Gene Network Sciences, uh, formerly of Autodesk. Um, he's a brilliant man right now specializing in the security of data and um, helping with the development of a app that helps to track the spread of the coronavirus. In order to avoid breaking up our conversation with Steve, we're going to take a second to have a quick message from our returning sponsor, Anchor. Then you can catch our uninterrupted conversation with Steve Penrod. Hello, everybody. You are off the edge with Matt and Zach once again, episode seven. And with us today, um, it's our great pleasure to welcome entrepreneur, uh, computer science wizard, um, just all around uh, amazing dude, hero of the day right now, actually, with this uh, uh, COVID-19 deal going on, Mr. Steve Penrod. Thank you so much for coming off the edge with us today. Hey, my pleasure to be here, guys. Cool. Awesome. Awesome, man. And uh, you've been a busy guy lately. I really appreciate you uh, taking a little time out for us. It's kind of nice to step back and do something completely different. So. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, uh, let's just jump right into it. Uh, probably the most, uh, I don't know, pressing thing going on right now. Of course, we're all social distancing uh, for this virus that's going around. And you have been neck deep in trying to track how this thing is spreading. Could you give us a little background on? on yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, kind of one of those things where just the, the, the right, or at least a person at the, at a place at a time that worked out well. Um, so my uh, company, I work for a company called triple blind and what we do is involves, uh, encryption technology and be able to protect data and protect code uh, to be able to work together in, in privacy-preserving ways. And one of the uh, people that we were working with uh, was at a healthcare um, healthcare meeting down in Florida back in late April, or late uh, February. And the during the middle of this healthcare conference, Mike Pence's team walks in and they're like, holy cow, guys, there's this COVID thing coming. Have you heard of it? And we've got to do something. What can we possibly do? And uh, one of the ideas that came up out of this, you know, w was around this, what now everyone's heard of or uh, called contact tracing um, and what you can do to enable contact tracing and, and help be able to contain the disease and contain the exposure and that next level of exposure around it to, to help stop the spread. Right, like flatten the curve as they're all flatten saying. Flatten the curve, right? all those things, right? So um, 
there, there's some easy ways to do it. And the scary thing about the easy ways is that it leads to what you call a surveillance state, right? Where everybody reports everywhere that they are at all times. That's the easy way of doing it. Nobody really likes the idea of being tracked all the time. Right. And so what we started working on with, uh, with uh, uh, Ramesh Raskar, who uh, at MIT is someone we'd been interacting with previously. He had this uh, this idea, and so I started implementing and 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 building out this technology to do what's become uh, COVID safe paths. And so the the basics of it is, on your cell phone, you start recording your own position. So on your phone, never leaves your phone. It just takes and keeps track of where you are every five minutes. Snapshots the GPS location. Never leaves your phone. You don't have to worry about it. It happens in the background. Yeah. And then at some point, if, you know, anyone who's running this is diagnosed with the disease, then part of that process, they can talk to one of these individuals that, you know, generically we call contact tracers. And what's happened in the past is they sit there and they interview you for a few hours and they're like, okay, what, what'd you do yesterday? Who did you see yesterday? What'd you do the day before? What'd you do the day before that and the day before that and trying to do that, you know, ideally for 14 days. So, you know, Zach, where were you 10 days ago? You have no idea. Right. Nobody remembers. Yeah. It, it's just, and if you do remember, it's either, you know, wrong or vague. Right. And, um, and then the other piece of it is they traditionally, the only thing that they would ask about or would pay any attention to is someone whose name, you know. Because if they don't know the name, there wasn't anything. Oh, I was at this gas station and I was coughing. Well, who was around you? I don't know. And so it's impossible for them to do anything with that kind of information when it's just a verbal uh, interaction. Right. So, so with our system, you've got all these times and places recorded. So if I uh, if I'm working with them, I'm able to say, well, I was you know looking through this digital history that I've been recording. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I went to the gas station, you know, and this is f seven days ago while I was infectious. I now know, looking back, I realized I was infectious. Um, they are able to keep track of that time and point, then uh, remove anything that I do know information. So, you know, I went to this friend's house or I was at my grandma's house or, you know, I was at my own house. That information, nobody else needs to know because I know those people You can convey the information to them, you know, check, watch yourself, pay attention. Mm -hmm. But all those public places, now that information can be, you know, automatically placed out there. And then our app can take in that information. So now you as an individual can download and say, oh, I was at that gas station at the time that this guy was infectious. It doesn't mean that I've got the disease at that stage, but mm -hmm. it lets me know, start watching myself because I have potentially been exposed to someone who has COVID-19. Right. And so that gives you as an individual very personalized information on how you can start behaving. You know, so if you, if you're, well, the ideal, the best case is I haven't been near anyone. I can start living my life relatively normally at that point, you know, go out, go to work, um, you know, go do things. But if I have a chance that I've run into someone, maybe I don't visit my grandma at that weekend. Right. Cause you know, yeah. that's a, that's a high risk situation. And all I gotta do is wait 14 days and let that roll off. And that'd be great. Or if I'm, 
spent, you know, seven hours next to someone, um, then maybe I want to be extra careful or maybe actually go out and get tested to see, you know, do I have something? Or certainly if I start to feel bad, I'm absolutely positively going to do, you know, self-isolation and, and contact a doctor at that point. Right. So, you know, that that's the basics of this. It, it allows us to record our own information, allows you, you know, when you do get sick to, in an efficient way, communicate with the healthcare organizations and then work together as a group, as a community in protecting each other and, and uh, working together to do something about this thing that up until this point was kind of invisible and kind of terrifying. Exactly. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's an amazing approach. And, and so, so the whole thing ultimately is voluntary though. Exactly. This yeah. is, you know, that that's one of the key things about this. It's on your phone. You keep it on your phone as long as you want. You know, there is a value in sharing that information down the road, but sure. it is up to you whether you ever ultimately do that or not. And I think it's, it bears repeating because from what I see, social media and just talking with people, um, people are very concerned, obviously, about the safety of individuals, but they're also concerned about government maybe overstepping and and placing limitations on people uh, violating rights and then maybe we never get those rights back so i think it right. bears repeating that this is not information that's being stored in some kind of government database right. to be used down the road it, it's um, yours it's right. yours and you can do with with that information what you want yep as is quite literally in the palm of your hand you know your cell phone is what stores that information and that's you know to kind of looking across the board different aspects of privacy um, to the, you know, hopefully the 99% who do not ever get sick, they never have to expose any of their privacy. Right. If you are one of the people who does get sick, the contact trace process is already in place. You know, you would be talking to a healthcare official asking you questions. So you're not asked to do anything that you're not already doing. You know, right. you're sharing information that was already being asked. And then on the far side of it, when we're talking about the exposures, we're also being very cautious and careful in the way we do it. And, you know, so that there, there have been some lessons learned from uh, other countries who have been going through this. If you share too much information, um, there is there can be social stigma either for an individual or for a place. So, you know, if you uh, if, if we find out that. Um, my neighbor had COVID-19 and then down the road, my wife gets it. And then my wife dies. Irrational behavior kicks in sometimes. And you're like, it's that it was his fault. That's who killed my wife. Right. And people react, right. you know, in, in times of stress, people do stupid things. Um, or, you know, on the flip side, somebody was next to someone in a restaurant who coughed and, you know, they've discovered that's the, the transmission spot. Mm -hmm. Two weeks from now, that restaurant is not giving anyone COVID-19, but there's a stigma associated because they find out that someone caught COVID at that spot. Right. And so we're doing our best to make sure that all of that information is not inappropriately used. And that's, 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 that's a delicate task. It's it, a delicate task. And, and I think it's really impressive that you're that you guys are thinking 
that uh, deep about it, thinking that far ahead about it. I well, appreciate yeah, yeah, because yeah. there there are so many people out there that, like you say, it'd just be easier to just we'll it, just track everybody and call right, it good. Right. Trust us, yeah. trust us. We're doing the right thing. Yeah, and you know, to be honest, all of the people who are doing that, I truly believe, have the right intentions. Right, right. right. Yes, I agree. But right. The world's full of right intentions gone wrong, you know? Well, you know, it, it was it was the right intention to, uh, you know, give Senator Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Executive control. Right. <laughs> but it but just takes, that, it takes, just takes one actor. person. Yeah. That one guy that just wants to, hey. I'm not, gi- I'm not giving the power back. <laughs> right. Yeah, and you know this is the part of what we have here. There, there are a couple of different ways to look at privacy, and you know, there's there's privacy by uh, by trust. I suppose you're trusting someone else to retain your personal privacy, and that's where you get into trouble a lot of times because you know for whatever reason the the bounds of that interaction change, right. and you know you lose that privacy not because of anything that you agreed to originally. Um, and then what we have is what, what we call privacy by design. So the system is set up to help retain the privacy of the individual. And, you know, that ultimately, I think, is better for all parties involved. You don't yeah. have the ability to do something wrong, then you can't do something wrong. Yeah. Amen yeah. to that. <laughs> um, so, uh, and... <clears throat> Going back, I've followed some of your other projects, and I hope that we will get to talk about those as well. But uh, I know that privacy has been at the forefront of your mind for a long time. Um, but moving on from that for just a second, uh, just like you said, it was just uh, about a what about a month ago that that you started working on this. Uh, so literally uh, February twenty seventh. So got a okay. got a phone call on the or excuse me a text on the twenty sixth and uh, started on it the twenty seventh of February. So and you know you can um, download the uh, Safe Paths app on and is it just Android right now? So at the moment, uh, as of two days ago, well actually one day ago, um, we are in the Google Play Store, although. The way Google systems work, if you search for it, you aren't going to find it yet. Um, it doesn't show up in results until for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So if you go to covidsafepaths.org is the website. Okay. And there's a link from there to the Android store. Um, and you can download uh, the, the Android app directly out of there. It, it is coming from the Play Store. You just can't find it through I regular see. search paths yet. Okay. Um so what I'm getting at in that short of a period of time, you have gone from zero to 60 basically and created this whole thing. Um, now I, you've mentioned you're working with a team on this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I know that you are uh, both highly involved in the actual coding and creation of the app. Is that right? Right. And, and also with dealing with heads of state in in trying to coordinate efforts and, and get this all it, worked out. It, it has been, I've said to a couple of people, if I sat down next to you in a bar and started to tell you the story, you would not believe it and you should walk away from me because <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm drunk. But yeah, yeah, quite literally, you know, over the last month I've been on the phone with, well, this morning um, I was on the phone with Haiti 
um, and also guys in Kansas City who are looking to implement the systems and and helping them get down the road. Um, you know, Haiti is is on the cusp right now. They've produced uh, promotional videos, which are pretty awesome to watch these these Haitian cartoon videos talking about what we've set up and, and how that's all going through. Um, but yeah, I've been on the phone with, uh, uh, you know, people in Vietnam, uh, you know, the, the, they call it the president, but it's more like a governor of, a, of an area of Italy, um, Germany. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I won't list all of the locations in the United States, but major cities and, and health departments uh, up and down the East Coast and West Coast and and far north and, you know, basically all over the place. Um, so basically, it's been a very high-pressure situation, I'm sure. Very time-intensive. Yeah, I've um, um, quite literally 16 to 18-hour days, seven days a week that I've been working for especially that February until about the last week. I, I had to step back a little bit the last week, and it's ready for me to be able to step back right now. Um, so I don't have to personally be involved in as much as I had been up until this stage. Other people, and there's there's a ton of people have been coming on board, and, and you know, we've got everything from you know, large organizations like Ernst & Young who are you know, volunteering hundreds of people to participate uh, to you know, individuals from you know, tech companies across the globe, um, either with or without their company's blessing, working on things, um, you know, uh, Workday, which you may or may not know, uh, is one of these massive corporations that service gigantic uh, organizations. So got a volunteer from there who's been core to this, um, right you know, on. Google, Facebook, um, individuals from there, individuals from uh, India, there's a, an open source application group or, or organization that participates in stuff around the globe, uh, who they've been working with it. Um, you know, I could go on and on Silicon Valley, uh, Y Combinator, um, uh, individuals who are former, uh, former PayPal and, and, you know, other, other massive Silicon Valley success stories, um, who are showing up, what can I do? How can I help? What can I do to make this happen? You know, this is that eighties, uh, 80s geeks tried to save the world, you know. Yeah, we need we, a montage. With yeah, that yeah. Song. <laughs> um, that is amazing to me that, uh, you know, that the app is is out and fully functional in that period of time and everyone pulled together. I think we're seeing that in, in a lot of different communities, science communities trying to break down mm -hmm. um, how this virus functions and stuff and people sharing information across, uh, you know, um, uh, across borders right. and, and all that cooperation has been pretty uh, amazing to see. But I, um, I'm kind of floored, uh, kind of what we uh, aim to talk about on this podcast is is um, how uh, the, oh, I'm, I'm even ha having trouble putting it into words, but uh, kind of creative minds mm -hmm. uh, actually being productive, um, you know. Community. Uh, com community. Yeah. Um, and I, I think could, this is a really vague question, I guess, and I'm not articulating it well at all. <laughs> but I want to know, like, in a high-pressure situation, time-sensitive, with so many people involved, but yet you still have to find that uh, creative spark, not just to be functional, but to also be intuitive mm. and, and all these things. Um, like, how do you keep that all straight and put that together? Is, 
Caffeine? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of caffeine. There is a lot of caffeine. I mean, do you just have to like zen, like zen out and meditate? Or, I mean, I don't know. What, what's your, kind of your process, I guess? There, I would say that in a way I, I got trained for this over years. Um, you know, before any of this came on, I was working um, at uh, another open source initiative, um, uh, open source company called Mycroft. And so at that point, what we were working with was um, uh, voice and voice agents. And so building, you know, much like the Amazon Alexa or the Google Home technologies with open source community and trying to build it in ways that were less um, centralized and that were open technologies and, and that sort of stuff. And again, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but again, like trying not to save and sell your data. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and so the idea of being able to have uh, have control at least of what you're what's going on with your data and being able to work together as communities and building this stuff out, which you know has advantages in in various ways, where there's you know the option for combination of less bias and also um, underserved communities uh, because commercially it doesn't make sense to build for example a welsh natural language voice assistant because mm-hmm. they're just you know there aren't that many people in wales you know how many people speak welsh right why are they going to build that tool when right. you're trying to make money but if we have tools that you know five or ten people can get together work together and build this thing that can speak welsh that's like super empowering to these these small communities of voice um, and that was something that I did for four or five years building that and, and working, you know, again, globally with open source communities around the world and for better or worse, when you're working around the world, um, daytime is different. <laughs> so, so I was used to staying up weird hours and long hours and, you know, having meetings at two in the morning. Um, and, um, you know, it, I guess I, I've been training for a few years to be able to do this. And yeah, it was pretty intense, um, but I was fortunate in you know the lessons I've learned and the examples I've seen from working with groups like Mozilla, uh, the KDE community, um, and just you know all these other great individuals who've been doing this sort of work for decades in the Linux community, um, uh, you know, Red Hat and, mm-hmm. and Ubuntu and Canonical and all that, they've they've sort of blazed the, the, the trail for how do you work together these, you know, disparate groups in so many ways, you know, how do you pull them together so that you're able to work? Um, and, uh, there's new technology that's, that's evolved. You know, if you're really geeky, there's a thing called GitHub, which is a, a technological gathering place for source code. And there's things. So, people can join into your GitHub project and they can post issues. They can give you submitted code that you can review and decide to pull into your code or not Okay, and give feedback to each other and, and to really be able to build stuff, whether, you know, people you've literally never met, um, except by some name on the screen. I think I work with them. Yeah. I, th- I think I've looked up, uh, like DIY CNC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of that was on, on GitHub. Yep. And, uh, you know, you skim the surface of it and like, okay, that's out of my league. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it is, it isn't, you know, everyone feels intimidated, you know, the first time you get involved in something and you're like, 
thinking about this is literally going to be seen by people around the world. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's freaky, you know? Uh, jumping back to to, to Mycroft, there, was there a, a Kickstarter for that? Yep. Okay. I, I You had mentioned it earlier, and I kept thinking, yeah, immediately I go to Sherlock Holmes, but uh-huh. I kept thinking, man, there was... And yeah, I remember yeah. the I remember the whole video for it on Kickstarter. And right. Yeah, I mean, I've never actually um, purchased or supported anything on Kickstarter. Um, but man, I like going and looking through the projects. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of these days, I'll find that one. I'll be like, yeah, I got to do that. One. This is the one. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's it is a. Um, there's so many projects that go up on on. Kickstarters and all these yeah. these systems that um, again, there's lots of good reasons. I met well, you know, I'm re- I'm wearing right now the uh, Megabot shirt, and I don't know if you remember Megabots. Uh, it was another biggie. So they were building these giant fighting robots. Was the the idea? That's just awesome. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, and so I met these guys. They're really really great guys, and they had tons of uh, of uh, great intentions to build this stuff and to make this out. And they built, you know literally a 20 foot tall robot that you know can move around and do all this stuff and could pick up a car and and crush it and do all that um and they i think they ended up raising over a million it may have been three million that they pulled together yeah. you know it sounds like a ton of money right and you probably you and, not when you're building 20 foot robots right, right? <laughs> you and me we're like oh they raised a million dollars how could they not do it and that's a lot you know, of million dollars is not that much yeah. when you're trying to build this and when you're now looking at the liability and the insurance you have to take out when you're able to throw a car across a, a ring, you know, they get a little nervous about that sort right. of stuff. And, uh, you know, in the end, these guys did everything possible and they tried to be upfront about it, but, you know, boil down to, you know, one plus million dollars into it, they couldn't make it work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as, as a person doing that, you feel guilty. You know, all these people helped you. All these people trusted you. And, you know, they literally put their money behind you doing this. But, you know, you worked for two years, three years trying to bring this to fruition. And if it fails, do you try and personally pay it all back? You know, and, and these guys, they couldn't. I mean, right. they literally, right. they put their heart and soul into every bit of what they did there. Yeah. And well, that's and, all you can do. I yeah, mean, and, and I mean, that's that's the risk. I, uh, that's the risk you take mm-hmm. in supporting a project like that. Sure. Um, of course, you know, there's always going to be that side that's like, well, I paid for this. And it, right. Right. But, you know, you don't, don't don't do it if you're not willing to lose it. Right. That's and, the thing. And, and that's the thing that the, the upside and the downside of some of these Kickstarter projects is they got so good at presenting the project. It looks like it's right there yeah, and they're it's just already waiting. done it's, it's already just a matter done, of you know two days shipping yeah. and it's going to be in my no it's not actually two days shipping there's <laughs> so much you know, even if there is a physical prototype the process of getting from physical prototype to mass production yeah you know i, I can tell you the the mycroft units that we produced um for the the first kickstarter the mark one um, I think we sold a bunch of them for $99 and then some more, I think is like $199. They cost us at bare minimum, hardware was $179 for just the parts mm. that oh, went into wow. these things. 
and then you know you add up any kind of labor and, right. and, and effort on top of that zero dollars were made right um, and um, then the mark II's been coming along and again that one's been stretched out and they're still working on trying to bring that to to reality trying you know we've got or they have now um, physical um, prototypes that that you know there's one sitting in my kitchen it does do its thing but that's a there's a huge gap between that and being able to make you know 500 or a thousand or a million right you know. sure right and, and you know I, I I see that side of it um, I've, I've built guitar pedals for a while right um, you know did music did video did uh, guitar pedal building you know it was kind of like throw it all at the wall see what sticks well the pedals didn't really take off which mm -hmm. is okay mm -hmm. but uh, it, it's a fun skill to have um, but yeah, I mean, you, you see the ones that are mass produced and, and you see, um, from my perspective, I saw how cheap I could get parts. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, of course I undervalue my, my labor right. a ton. Right. Um, so I'll, I'd see something that, you know, and they'd sell it for this much and, but you don't take into consideration the, the marketing and, you know, the mass production, mm -hmm. um, even, even the smaller, um, pedal builders, as long as they're not like one off pedal builders, they are, you know, they're having the, the PCBs printed mm -hmm. and shipped in, mm -hmm. you know, there, there are costs that, that I don't see, but at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, that capacitor only costs, you know, right half a cent right you know why are you charging 99 dollars? there's only three components to that pedal right. come on yep, yep. But, and and most most uh, most pedals the the box and uh well no really the box yep. the box costs more than anything yep. in the inside that yep, thing yep. but uh but yeah uh, that that kind of and it was kind of uh it was almost counterintuitive because it was like yeah i see it from this side but I also see it from this side. and I think that really gets exposed when you start talking about um, products that aren't that aren't even physical. Mm -hmm. We're talking about yeah. music or you're talking about software. Yep. It's, you know, um, it's, it's almost a little harder to try to get people to pay for that because they're not getting a physical right. thing. Right. Well, and it's this is the same thing. Psychological. Yeah, the know, same thing applies for music. Disconnect. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because nobody's does, buying absolutely. physical music anymore, right. and and that's why music has always been ripped off. Right. Sure, always. Right, right. And I mean, I'm guilty as anybody, but I pay for I Spotify now, so I feel a little better about myself. <laughs> I was gonna say I've never downloaded anything off the internet I didn't pay for. I I am right there with you. I every every music I've got whatever twelve thousand MP3s, but every one of those I either ripped off of a CD or that I owned already, or yeah, yeah. or something that I purchased directly. I'm, I'm pretty, I draw a pretty hard line on that one. The old generation of uh, setting, waiting for the radio to play your song and get it on tape. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and oh, then man. the DJ talks over the intro. It's like you bastard. Ah, those are the days. I do yeah. still have some of those tapes. But, uh, <laughs> some uh, that's a that's a Gen X thing, man. Yeah, yeah. Like no, you know, people actually, younger than us. Actually, I think I still have a. I've got a tape deck stored in there. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So if we ever need to listen to some old cassettes, I don't think I have any more. But <laughs> I, got, I might have some stashed away yeah. somewhere. I got a box of cassettes. That, yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, cassettes are cool. Millennials will never know. 
the joy of the mixtape. Uh, but yet, yet they know vinyl. You know, yeah, you want to talk. You want to talk about a format that. that has truly stood the test of time, and that's. And I and I love vinyl. You know, I really do. I was thinking about it the other day. Next like, album, say, vinyl. Some, uh, you know, thousand years down the road, mm-hmm. aliens come and they bring back the the record we sent up with with Voyager, right? And we'll probably still be using records, <laughs> right? Yeah, somebody will be able to play it. Yeah, I think I was listening to. Man, we're just going off topic here, but I enjoy it. Um, I think I was listening to Lex Friedman's AI podcast, mm-hmm. and they were saying something about like, uh, you know. In the 70s, we sent that record mm-hmm. up and, you know, a civilization that's more advanced than we were then would probably be like, wouldn't try to build a record player. They'd probably just try to scan that disc mm-hmm. for the information and rebuild it digitally. And Sure. Yeah. Unless they're as nostalgic as we are. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just, uh. I don't know why that thought just, I just, I just <laughs> found that interesting and wanted to share, I guess. Yeah. You know, I think there's a fascinating thought process and you go into, you know, the longevity of something. That's one thing that I always face in the software industry is the, the vast majority of the things that I've created are, are old, you know, pitched, you know, everything that I worked with that 20 years ago at Autodesk pretty much aren't in use anymore, you know, and they've been replaced with the next generation, the next generation. Yeah. Um, but there, there is something about, you know, how do you make something that is so like the long now foundation? Have you ever heard of that? So the guy's no, trying to create the thousand year or excuse me, 10,000 year clock. Have you ever heard about this idea? Oh, no, I haven't. So, on me. <laughs> so there, there's this guy, uh, that he originally, originally, originally was doing, um, uh, super high performance computers and that high super high conform performance computer. There's the thing called the top 500 list that they keep. And it is the 500 fastest computers in the entire world. And, um, the, the, the Paralition machine is one of the things that he created while he was at MIT. And it is, uh, it was, you know, massively parallel at the time, which nowadays your, your laptop there is probably faster than what the thing was. But at the time he was at the top of that list. Mm-hmm. Three months down the road, you get you move down, and you know probably six months down the road, you're completely off the list. It's just the way of the the world around this stuff is you can't build anything that really lasts. So all this work that he'd put into creating these things very soon disappeared. And you know you have a legacy a bit where other people are building on your work, but what he created actually wasn't there. And I don't know for sure. I'm making a little bit of this part up in my head, but I think that led to the idea of how do you make something that truly lasts and and he came up with this idea of something super simple of a clock. How would you make a clock that lasts? I mean, super duper long time frame lasts. So if you look at 10,000 years, what happens to make something last for 10,000 years? You know, you look at the pyramids and things along yeah. those lines. How do you make something? And you got to talk about now you got to think about languages disappearing on you. You know, you can't write the instructions in English and expect that that 10,000 years from now, people can read those instructions. Um, you know, you, you look at geographic changes, you know, the climate change and you have an ocean appears that didn't used to be there, or you have earthquakes that come through, or you have, you know, all these other things. How do you really make that happen? Or, you know, geopolitical change so that, uh, 
you know, whoever was maintaining this thing for you, that that group be doesn't long, exist. Gone, gone, yeah. Right, right, right. And so, you know, they're trying to think through all of this, you know, and, you know, just building it out of advanced materials probably doesn't work because at some point in 10,000 years, even the most advanced material is going to wear out. So you got to have something replaceable. And so a lot of this has been a little highfalutin, but they are trying to literally build this, this thing. And, um, that's cool. I like that. There's someone out there trying to do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I like that. You start with speculation and then yeah. turn it into yeah. reality. And, and I like there's, and who knows con- what cool shit they'll find along the way of right. just doing that. Right. Well, Maybe and, and that just, in and itself doesn't really mean a whole lot, except for it's a cool thing to do, but they could discover a whole lot along right. the way. Well, yeah. I mean, think about the information. So if you're going to think about, you know, uh, the climate. You, you know, you're going to think about uh, the oceans rising or settling. You know, there's there's climatology being looked at. I sure. mean, it's, I mean, you, you're approaching different avenues um, that ultimately don't have anything to do with the clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But from that, you know, you get a long term model. Possibly, right. You know, one, one of the stories that I like kind of related to this is. Um, uh, Oxford University, there's this, you know, massive set of of doors as you go into there, and they're you know gigantic, huge doors that they built out of the single tree, each door that swings open. Um, and um, you know, after like 500 years, one of these doors started to rot, and they're like, "What are you going to do?" Well, they looked out there. There was an oak tree that was planted when they started the university. They cut that tree down and replace the door. Wow. And just like that kind of thinking is what really you got to do yeah. for some long this. game. You know, how am I yeah. going to play this long game? And, you know, is that exactly why that tree was there? I don't know for sure, but, yeah. um, but I hope they planted hope a new they tree when they, and they planted a new tree. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. exactly. Right. I'm going to butcher this, but, uh, what, what is it like? Um, it, I, I don't even know. It's something something about, uh, you know, like a wise man or something will plant a tree under which he will never feel the shade. Right, right, right. Or, yeah, I, that's yep. not the quote, but it's... Yep, yep, the, something, the sentiment there. Yeah. 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 And I think we, just as, as a nation, maybe even a global culture, have kind of lost that for short-term gains a lot of times. Oh well, yeah, don't, yeah. Don't mean to get into like a so lot. We're of tearing down the rainforest. Come on, yeah. But uh, yeah. well, and I'm curious, kind of circling back, the whole COVID thing is going to be interesting to see the repercussions as the world emerges. Mm-hmm. Who starts looking at just a month or two months of time without the majority of human, you know, interaction and and interference with the environment? How it reset itself. And thinking about, you know, the, the, the Venice canals where now they're crystal clear and they've got dolphins and, and jellyfish that no one had ever seen, you know. Right. And, uh, you know, do we learn from that? Do you, you know, is there yeah, something? And that's just one aspect. And it's an amazing, important aspect. But also, um, you know, kids, uh, college students especially, realizing that, you know, they can do the majority of their learning online. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like do this. I'm again kind of going into the woods here, but 
I've kind of felt, and maybe this is, again, we're all Gen X. I'm at the very, very youngest end of it. But mm-hmm. I kind of feel like um, I was like, I went to college. I got my degree uh, in humanities. <laughs> and as so many people did, I, you know, in, in debt, didn't really use my degree. Um, but we grew up believing that that's like what you had to do. And we believed in those institutions. And I kind of feel like now we're, we're starting to see that, man, maybe these institutions are really outdated. Maybe they're great in the 1800s. They work perfectly. Now we're mm-hmm. starting to see we're kind of outgrowing them. And I wonder, and I think something like this, this again, just another mm-hmm. influence or another uh, instance rather that we're seeing is kind of a revelation because mm-hmm. it's like, man, maybe we don't need, I don't know. I mean, you have kids, we all have kids. Um, and like, I don't know as parent, like, should I be pushing my daughters mm-hmm. into going to college? Will they get out of it? Everything that they're being promised they will get out of it. Again, I don't have anything against, I, I no. obviously I, I value higher education and I, yep. I value yeah, it myself. And I, I, I think, I think, I think this whole situation has us looking at, at different things or at things differently. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think I see the, the forward thinking that you're talking about with that. But at the same time, over this last month, I've seen lots of things that are very 1950s. Mm-hmm. You know, right. there, there's family units again. Yeah. You know, there's, there's. Yeah, interaction eat, with, eating dinner together yeah and, yeah yeah um so i i'd love to see the the best parts of all of this right you know right yeah uh, absolutely and i mean you and i have been working um but and, at the same time everything has still been at least a little bit different you right, know what i mean right um and by by posing that question you know I'm not saying that I have an answer either, you know, yeah. I'm just saying like, man, right. it's, it's really making me think about like, are there better ways that we can do things right. like across the board? That's well, and I hope there are more people like that. Unfortunately, I think the majority is going to be like, "Woo, we can go back to Walmart without the mask. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you right. know, and, and uh, that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, and, and some of it might not be immediately obvious. I think, you know, it's kind of touching on the entrepreneurial thing. Um, during this time period, people are starting to get ideas. You know? Yeah, they're not going to necessarily be able to do all of them at this point in time. It's going to take them a little while. And, yeah. and I like to think back. Um, you know, this complete speculation, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. If you go back to that earthquake that hit Silicon Valley um, in the in the late '90s that collapsed the bridge between mm-hmm. Oakland and Silicon Valley, you remember the one where yeah, it was the double decker bridge that collapsed. Well, as a result of that the drive to get Silicon Valley from the other side of the bay went to like, you know, I don't know, five or six hours to make it all the way around. So, you know, these, this hour long commute suddenly became basically impossible to do. And I don't think it's coincidence that the advent of remote desktop and remote working technologies occurred right after that. I think that networking became was just starting to become available and all of these silicon valley companies that were you know suddenly hosed by this incredible commute time and having to deal with each other on the phone um started the process of creating 
you know, the tools that we have today. So the zooms and such that exist today right. are because of that tragedy that occurred, you know, 20 some odd years ago. Yeah. Um, it's going to take a while for them to all build up. Absolutely. But I, similarly, I think uh, educational technology is going to be far different five years from now because of what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. In, in lots of areas of our life. I think that's going to be true. I agree. And I, I am excited to see in which ways we move forward on, on those fronts and in the environmental thing, like you were saying, I, I hope it really, uh, it wakes people up to just how much of an impact we have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty amazing. Yeah, this is, uh, the, I guess, uh, out of, out of hard times, that's where you really get inspiration and, and the ability to think different because you have to. <laughs> You know? Right, getting back to the creative spark and right. stuff, you know, with necessity being the mother of, of invention. Right, and- right. You know, and, and uh, there are going to be uh, some kids who grow up watching this and thinking about this and thinking differently because of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I truly believe that uh, the next generation of everything, you know, engineers, entrepreneurs, musicians, you know, how do you learn to play? How do you play music together when you're not in the same room? Um, right. You know, my daughter's taking an orchestra class right now. They can't play as an orchestra in their orchestra class. You know, um, there's so many things like this that uh, they're going to come up with creative ways to deal with it this week. They're, they're doing a crappy job of it, you know, <laughs> But they're going to try stuff next week, and they're going to try stuff the week after that, and they're going to come up with something that is cool and different, and you know, not the same as all being in the same room, but valuable and and interesting. Right, still, still pushing them forward and learning. Yep, yep. Um, it's amazing. We we live in a pretty interesting time. <laughs> well, yeah. Who who would have thunk it? You know, what I mean, uh, given you could uh, you could predict you know massive earthquake you could right. you could almost predict yosemite blowing which still could yeah <laughs> uh There's you so know many things that could go wrong you could you could yeah. predict a war you know but i don't think anybody would have predicted extreme flu uh, which yeah. granted it's not flu it's a respiratory thing but right um infectious disease you know yeah. this is just the right you know on the, on the flip side there has been you know over decades, they've been talking about this is one of the greatest threats to this world as it is today. Is, right. You know, a, a properly infectious but not immediately deadly disease yeah. can spread slowly, but then and you know, quietly. reluctantly, quietly, yeah. and then explosively behind it take out large portion of the population. And you know, what is the impact of that? And, you know, I've been looking at it with. Uh, uh, you know, everything from the hot zone, if you've read that book about um, uh, Ebola or Ebola or however you pronounce it, mm-hmm. that's, that disease was fortunately spectacularly scary enough that it didn't go very far. Yeah. Um, this is just quietly not bad enough that people don't freak out because no one's bleeding from their eyeballs. Right. Um, and it let it slowly creep its way into the United States, for example, you know, and everyone's like, oh, it's just a flu. And... 
You know, if it, if it had been a flu where you're bleeding out, if your tongue was sloughing off, that would have scared people to yeah, not yeah. do it. But it was just exactly. not b- bad. Right? People aren't going to be scared unless it's zombies. Yeah. And yeah. then half the population is going to be excited. I think this is our dress rehearsal for zombies. I certainly hope so. Because, I mean, if we're going to go out, we need to go out with a bang. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, my, my favorite zombie movie flick uh, was, I think it's uh, World War Z, uh, mm-hmm. where they're talking about... You know, how fast it spread around the world, except in North Korea, because they had everyone's teeth removed within 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was brilliantly true. Well, and I mean, that's, that, that's scarily realistic. Yeah. I mean, you know. but, and I think North Korea, actually, it's not been too bad because they were brutally clamped down on everything in the country. So I'm honestly surprised that I, I guess because China's so packed. But I, I was surprised that it got as bad as it did because, you know, China can be pretty ruthless too. Right. Yeah. Well, I've heard stories of, of you know, people getting sick and then just being marched off, mm-hmm. you know, and never being seen <laughs> from again. Right. But, but again, again they, that, it's so are, densely are, populated. Yeah. And those right. are just stories I'm hearing. So I, I, I don't have any factual information. Right. Right. So, yeah. And, and uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> Well, and yeah, the the difficulty of this entire disease right now is so much is unknown. You know, right now there's statistics just coming out that there's a good chance that the major cities there was infection spreading before anyone even realized it. Um, you know, there's a yeah. huge portion of New Yorkers with the antibodies um, that never. Ex- as far as they know, never got sick. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was this quiet spread going on too. And, uh, you know, and I really would like to get the antibody test because, mm-hmm. uh, our second podcast here, we were in with a band called Galaxia. It was in the middle of January and I had totally lost my voice. And I was jokingly yeah. saying, cause this was just getting on the radar. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, I've got, I've yeah. got the coronavirus. Well, yeah. and I wonder if I really did because I usually do not get uh, bronchitis or mm-hmm. I, I think I've had bronchitis once in my life. Mm-hmm. And this like totally wiped out my voice. My lungs were filled with fluid for like six weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was And I just, I just like coughed for a day and then I was just couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, what if I had it for real? <laughs> right. Well, I, I know um, one of the, I had a robotics tournament. Um, let's see. I think it was the very first of March. Um in um, Rolla, Missouri. And I just found out recently that one of the teams that was there the week after seven of the adults got sick and one of them has since been tested and did have COVID. And so, you know, there's just, there was lots of opportunity for that sort of thing to happen, you know, and Mm -hmm. and it is, you know, that on average, their estimates is that every one patient spreads it to two people. And, you know, if you do, you do that math, you know, that one becomes two, becomes four, four becomes eight, right. 16. Pretty soon you're up to 32,000, 64,000. You know, it, it just grows well, and, and incredibly then fast. Do that over two weeks before anybody knows. Right. You exactly. Know, you know, so you've got this exponential growth and you go back to, you know, patient zero mm-hmm. that just is starting to get sick. Right. right. So you're like, That's okay, a crazy well, thing, right? Is it's your, the your incubation. Yeah. Right. The incubation period is, is nuts. Right. And that, you know, that's why cool. my wife is, is sleeping in an RV right now. Right. Cause she's a nurse. Yeah. Shout out to yeah. Brooke Austin for her, uh, 
I don't know, kick-ass uh, fighting of the coronavirus on the front lines. Yeah, she's right there. And, and, you know, that's where, you know, whether it's my stuff or something else that people use, this idea of massive contact tracing combined with testing. You know, that's right. the only way you can effectively do it. Because if you don't get tested and a positive result, you can't really begin telling others to perform self-isolation. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't just chase the person who's sick. You got to chase the person that the person who was sick ne- was next to. Yeah. and lock that down. But I think, you know, the, the thing I'm really looking forward to is, you know, this idea of we've got this 14 day window. Once that window is clear, you get to interact with the world. Right. And you're going to at times have something that pops up, you know, Oh, somebody that I ran into seven days ago got diagnosed. So I'm going to pull back from the world for a little bit, mm-hmm. but I would much rather and I've been talking to you know CEOs around the world about this idea of they would much rather pay people to stay at home, you know, 10% of their workforce, if they have to pay them to stay at home while that two week rolls off and allow the other 90% of the workforce to continue to do their thing and, and mm-hmm. allow the world to keep flowing. Or if you think about, you know, around the city, you know, a, a restaurant, if it has to shut down because one of the servers got sick then shut that restaurant down for two weeks. But the rest of the city gets to continue working. You know, if if one in 10 restaurants is all that has to shut down, that doesn't collapse the economy. You know, it's pain. Nobody wants to do it. Right. But it allows life to start to resume. That sounds like a feasible strategy. Right. You know, because you can't keep everybody shut down forever. Right. Um, But you don't want everyone just going out there willy-nilly i guess without right without yeah, uninformed any kind of just crossing and, your fingers and oh right. this you know whoever it was this sneezing next to me uh, i i was it was weird so in the midst of all this uh in in late february early march i flew to boston and so i was in mit for uh seven week or excuse me seven days and in the midst of that you know they already had a handful of cases probably i don't know 30 or 40 in boston at that stage um I think the second day I was there, they stopped classes at Harvard and MIT. Uh, The day after that, they announced that they weren't going to resume undergraduate classes. And like, you know, the day or something after that, they told them they all need to go home this weekend. Um, They're kicking them off campus. And, um, you know, all of that stuff was happening, you know, around me, all of these things. And... In the midst of that, they realized there had been at Harvard, there had been a job fair. And one of the guys that was working the job fair was diagnosed. So hundreds of students had literally shaken hands with this guy two days before he got diagnosed. And, you know, just the way all of that spread and is silent. And the, the good and the bad of that so all of those students there at Harvard who went to the job fair had to ask themselves, did I interact with that guy? You know, right. Cause you don't know yeah. who the guy was or, you know, and, and that one was e- relatively easy to at least broadcast what, what it was. Um, you can think about dozens of other interactions where you're just kind of living on edge, you know? And when yeah. I was in the airport trying to come back, I coughed a couple of times just cause I was like, chewing on a bagel and 
people looking at me, you know, every time you <laughs> coughed, everyone around you, you just, you, you, you felt uncomfortable around right. every stranger. Yeah. And that's no way to live. No, no, no. Um, you mentioned earlier, uh, robotics and you're a robotics enthusiast and, uh, don't you, you coach a, like a high school robotics team, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, two teams actually. So there's 3409, the Astromex is our, our sort of senior team. So it's been around nice. for a little over a decade, uh, that we've had that team. And then we've got a secondary team that comes up and down as we have, uh, as need. So 5227 is Galactic. And, uh, you know, just, uh, I, I originally got involved in robotics when a friend of mine from high school, um, they were starting a team at a high school in Kansas City, and he asked me to join in to help him, you know, get off the ground. So that was a, another group of, of um, uh, the, the Bronco Bots, Team 1987. Um, they're um, doing a program called FIRST, um, which is originally, originally started with a guy named Dean Kamen, who... He was a geek, you know, and, and he kind of made well. He was the guy who invented um, a bunch of medical equipment. And then the things most people know him for is the Segway. Um, oh, that was his nice. company that, that built that. And they did a few other things that um, um, that really have, have helped more in the medical world, but people don't know nearly as well. But Dean Kamen's looking back on life. He's like, you know, I didn't have anything I could do in high school. I didn't play sports. I was just the, I just didn't have anything to do. I wanted to have something I could have done as a young geek, basically. Yeah. And so he started this idea of robots as a competition, as you know, the sport for geeks, kind of. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I think it's been. He worked in combination with a guy who passed away a couple of years ago named Woody Flowers, and they came up with this this organization and this philosophy behind it, and. You know, a little bit, a little bit twingy sometimes. The word cooperation, um, <laughs> but I, I like the thought behind it. It's like yeah. I want to beat you, but I want to beat you when you're at your very best. So yeah. if your robot breaks, I'm going to help you fix it, and then I want to meet you on the field and play against you at your best, going yeah. against my best. Well, that, and, that's a good word. I yeah, like I like that. And, and you know, learning together and working together. I think all of this stuff comes back to the community is super important in so many aspects of life, you know, being able to work together, being able to contribute to things together, being able to trust the person next to you is going to give you some assistance, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, uh, in COVID and robotics in you know, any kind of, of aspect of your life, if you tried to do it solo, you know, one person against the world, maybe you'll make it, but more likely than not, you won't. Right. Well, it'd be a hollow victory. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who, who are you going to celebrate with? Yeah. Who wants that? Yeah. yeah. And also the the competitive aspect of that in in the, the positive light of pushing each other to do yeah. the very best, yep. you know, and yep. um, that's a... Well, and, and think about the bragging rights. Look, dude, I helped you get your robot to the peak and I still kicked your ass. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you <know>? And you, <laughs> you know, need to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> And that's one of the things yeah, I'm super proud of these teams that I've been on, uh, been able to, to work with, um, you know, my son's team, um, when he went through it, you know, they, they were, there are multiple teams around the area and around the country that 
are recognized and you know they're they're teams that people don't want to play against because they're scared about losing to them but our team was known to be one of the teams that not only is great but that they can go ask questions of you know if they need help they would come to us and my our kids would go out and they would help them rebuild they'd help them reprogram they'd That's help awesome. them figure out what was wrong and you know super duper proud of uh that reputation that they developed. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And that's great for your kids to go out and problem solve, mm-hmm. you know, even more, more yeah. chances to right. work those skills. So. Right. And, you know, they learned, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever coached a sport after playing it. You think you know how to play it. Right. But until you tell <laughs> someone else how to do the thing you can do, you don't actually know what you're doing. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, that being able to flip sides and look at it through fresh eyes, I think you learn, you get so much better at a sport or at an activity once you've taught someone else how to do it. Yeah, Yeah. I agree with that. So, Star Wars or Star Trek? I'm probably more of a Star Trek guy. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, uh, I, you know everybody says it's one or the other, but they are completely different things. I'm not yeah. opposed to either, but uh, you know th- I think Spock influenced me a lot. You know, growing up as a kid watching. Uh, his, so so okay, uh-huh. so original or next generation? So I, I'm I appreciate next generation, but I I think of the original series for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, Spock and Kirk. Not that you've been busy lately or anything, but have you had a chance to see uh, Picard? (laughs) I have not. uh, Highly recommend it. I liked it a lot. He's itching to talk to somebody about it because I haven't watched it yet. (laughs) But I like. I really liked Next Generation and this. I mean, I think that you could enjoy this without knowing anything about Next Generation, but it's still cool. Yeah. And. Patrick Stewart. Yeah, Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. As an individual just, yeah, he's and as awesome. a character, you know, he's he is an excellent, excellent uh, uh, figure that he strikes, you know. And, and Well, and think about how many, not just iconic roles, but how many iconic films that guy's been in. Mm-hmm. You know, going all the way back to Excalibur, mm-hmm. Dune, uh, you know, Star, all the Star Treks, X-Men, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, what, what else we got? Um I'm sure there's a ton that I'm yeah. drawing a blank on right now. And then there's all the stage things. The stage stuff he's done. And that, then just you know. the the one-offs, man. Have, have either of you guys seen that movie Green Room? It is on my I queue. Know. I have not seen it yet. Oh, my God. He plays the villain. Yeah. Nice. Terrifying. Yeah. 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 No. Awesome. He's he's just a hell of an actor. But I always I always go back to uh, to Excalibur because that, that, that was the first time I've seen him. Yeah. And uh, you know he and Liam Neeson and you know they're all the star-studded cast, the, really, the, yeah. and they were all the 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 bit players, right? Yeah. You know, I mean the the major, you know, Arthur and and uh, they were just all the I, I don't know I've never seen those guys in anything else, you right. know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure they have been, but you know, but, yeah. yeah, yeah. That is one of those movies that. Uh, I don't know if it launched their careers or it was coincidence that they were all in it together, but yeah. uh, you gotta you gotta wonder how how that influenced their. Well, and I mean, it's the same thing with Dune. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they were 
He, he right. was a small bit player. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Kyle McLaughlin wasn't yeah. anything big at that point, I don't know. No, think. but I mean, no. that really put him on the map. Right, right. Um, and, uh, well, Sting was already somebody, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, to bring him in and, and yeah. act, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm, I'm anxious to see the new one. Have you seen any other stuff on I, that? I, I am a pretty big Dune fan. I always love the movie, and... Um, I, I can completely understand. If you never read the books, there's no way you understood what that movie was about. And see, right. I have it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I'm a huge David Lynch fan, too, and I've always loved his his quirky outlook. He is and definitely quirky. He is, yeah. uh, he <laughs> is, I'm with you on that 100%. Like, yeah. I, I, loved, I loved the way that that film looked right. and felt. Right. Even, even if they were shooting sound guns like i don't care you know right, like, right, right. still just well, i mean awesome you know that would that was the times though i mean right, you weren't right. going to see anything better mm-hmm. in anything else outside of maybe star wars right right um yeah. i because they were just pioneers with visual effects but mm-hmm. uh but i yeah that's, i think that movie stands stands up to to yeah. anything now and i just imagine what it would be like now yeah you know and the fact that he came in and basically finish the movie mm-hmm. you know i mean it wasn't his to begin with right no. i'm optimistic about this new film i well the guy doing it is top of his game so yeah. who is doing it do you know the name yeah, of? i'll butcher it. it's like dennis, dennis villeneuve I yeah think. he did uh the blade runner 2049 right, right, and right. um was it uh Ex Machina is that the uh-huh. or no that was no he didn't that was that was uh, Alex Garland um, what was the first thing he did that got him on the I'm so bad with that stuff you're That's usually right. the man when it comes to yeah. I'll look That's it up right. you talk I'll look it up I, 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 and I, I'm a huge need fan to know. of uh, all of the Blade Runner the original film again love that movie you know I think the uh, that soliloquy that Rutger Howard delivered. You know, it's just, just, and he's such an underrated actor. I've watched uh, a couple of of old eighties, nineties movies with him, and there he did several that were were cheesy. I mean, don't get me wrong, but like uh, just the other day, I saw I watched uh, Surviving the Game. Mm -hmm. You remember that one Mm -hmm. with Ice T? Yeah, Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's just he 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 was really he was a really good actor, and he just didn't. Didn't always get what he deserved. Yeah. yeah. If I remember right, wasn't doesn't he have like a PhD in physics? Yeah, or something, something crazy, crazy like yeah, that. Yeah. It's like or... Dolph Lundgren. He, right, right, yeah. right. All these right, guys, yeah. you know, they look big and dumb, but no yeah. there. But yeah, yeah, I definitely uh, have a soft spot for those that that generation of 80s sci-fi, you know, was amazing. Alien and Aliens. Yeah, oh, yeah, some of my and, very favorite. Um, you know, they just... Uh, he for, did Arrival. Arrival. Oh, yes. yeah. I loved Arrival. That was... That Actually, was he did uh, that first Sicario, too. Hmm. Oh, I didn't realize okay. that. That was that was a dark movie. <laughs> oh, well, shit. He did Prisoners. Did you guys watch that one? Mm-hmm. I have I not watched that. That, that... I watched it once. And it was one of those that you only need to watch it once. Yeah, it was. It was like uh, about like, that was uh, a great movie. I never want to watch it again. <laughs> I never uh, unsee it. A guy's daughter gets kidnapped. Um, it's one of those things where I, I think you know they. 
he gets in his head that this was the guy that did it. The cops can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So you know where that goes, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, no, and it's not, <laughs> right. not a happy movie. Right, right, right. Can I get you a drink or anything? Everybody good? Uh, I'm going to drink a little bit here and then uh, I may top myself off here. All right. <laughs> I'm going to get a drink. So talk right. amongst yourselves. So I'm out. Let me give you a topic. <laughs> All right. If you want, if you want to hit me with something, I will take a, uh, Surprise me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think there is something, you know, kind of circling back to the, the thought of, uh, the thought of uh, creativity and music and creativity and software and creativity and all these, you know, film, all these other ways. I think there is a, uh, thank you. There's a common thread. You know, I know that I've, I feel like, there's a possibility I could have played music. I just didn't ever have really the time right. to do it. Right. Uh, you know, in high school, there's uh, there was just a limited amount of time on what I could do, and and I always have felt like I could do all right on the piano. I can noodle around on a piano reasonably well, um, but I think there is you know that inherent tie, like the Mozart effect of certain music helps you think you know yeah. helps the way yeah. you align your your brain waves or i used to listen to um uh, philip glass when i was doing some stuff um that was you know highly geometric trying to solve geometric problems working at, at autodesk on cad software mm-hmm. you know it just helped me focus i think to be able to listen to that sort of repetitiveness um you know i don't know if it's true or not but i convinced myself at least that uh, you know at the end of the day, whatever works. Yeah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're, they're absolutely, I think all these different arts are, um, and I do consider computer science to be more art than science uh, and, and certainly not an engineering. And I do practice. too. I mean, that's a really interesting perspective because I, I, you've been described to me as someone that can see past the code and see the matrix Um, and like i i see like you know gobbledygook so um i know nothing so so from now on elaborate on that we're calling him neo (laughs) um okay trust me it's better than the chosen one i I will go with that (laughs) um so when i when i was taking classes back at you know university of kansas is where i got my degree and and at that point computer science was not brand new, but it wasn't super established. And most computer science departments emerged out of the mathematics department, which is underneath the College of Liberal Arts and Science. And, you know, I think it's always been interesting that math is distinct from the engineering school. It is always under right. the the arts. You know, it's lumped in there with the humanities and with, you know, the English and all of those things. And I think it is fundamentally not something that is a, you know, engineering is about repeatable processes. Um, You know, if you're building a bridge, there is absolutely some artistry in what you are doing and the visuals of it, but there's also the engineering practices underlying that, you know, calculating the load and all that. Those are processes that are developed over generations and years and refined. Um, computer software in particular you know kind of kind of like you were talking about you can duplicate it 
And so I don't have to build the same program again and again and again. I build everything one time and it can be copied a billion times. Right. And so there is no reason in computer software to have that kind of engineering process exactly like there is with construction sciences and things like that. So you have to constantly be inventing new ways of approaching things or figuring out how to apply something in a new area, a new domain, um, you know, so and the, and the, that. Yeah, yeah. And that's how that's, that's kind of how that spills into the arts. Right. I mean, I think about video, audio, everything now is done with computers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they, they are, they are married now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, but you still need to have that, uh, <laughs> inspiration or that in intuitive, mm-hmm. um, spark right. to do something with those tools. Right. So well, it, it's it's taking that 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 everyday common analog thing mm-hmm. and picturing it, I guess, you know, visualizing it right. as a digital thing, and then making it happen. Yeah, and and I think um, you know that's one thing that's not obvious to everyone. You when you're you know like you're saying you look at a, a piece of software, you see text on a screen, right? And while that is sort of you know, it's, it's almost like the notes on a page. When yeah, you see it, it notes, looks like a language that I can't understand. Right. Right. So, yeah. and I'm guessing that when you see the notes on a page, you read those notes, yes, but then there's some sort of a visualization. I don't know if, if you see it as, as or a little, audiation. Yeah, 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 you yeah, know, yeah. or if you yeah. hear it. To me, software is pretty visual. I, could, I can almost picture these structures um, you know, floating around in my head and see the connections between, you know, this, this method that's being called by this thing over here and that's instantiated over here. And I can see these things tied together. And then as I'm, um, you know, developing the software and as I'm making changes to it, I can see how I can move things around and establish new connections in new ways and, and generate new pathways to allow them to interact together. And, um, you know, it, it is almost, almost literally visual blocks that I can, that I work with. Okay. Um, and again, I don't make music the same way you guys are, are capable of. So I don't know exactly how your brains. No, I think that's a really them. good analogy actually. But yeah. I, and I, and I think that that's a, a common thread, whether it's programming, whether mm-hmm. it's making music, whether it's you know, framing a picture before you snap the, sh- the mm-hmm. shot, mm-hmm. it's just, uh, the creative mind, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, I, the last thing I coded was on a Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, but I, I take that back. I do a lot of HTML work, but a lot of it is reversed in engineered. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I find something I like, okay, so I'll take that, you know, kind of work backwards. And, but, so I don't, I don't visualize what you're talking about, but I, I kind of see, what you're t- saying because i know if i go in and i i change this okay well now it's not going to be blue it's going to be red mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but uh yeah from the ground up that would be freaking awesome yeah and, and you know the going back to this extreme case of what we were building over the course of just you know a month and a half uh with covid it was not only 
a single piece of software uh, running on you know cell phone, but it really was building this entire process that was going to be you know multi-level yeah. and being able to figure out how this software could be used by all these individuals could be consumed by a healthcare organization and agencies and how they would be able to use that to distribute it to something that gets back out to this community. And then, you know, being able to design all of that in such a way and shift some of these pieces to be able to fit with things like HIPAA laws and, and laws, not only in the United States, but, but, you know, around the world and policies and concerns that all of these organizations were going to have when they were looking at, you know, well, if this is coming from the United States, dot, 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 dot. So being able to do this open source to be able to engender trust in what we are doing and allow others to review and to, to get behind it, um, being running it on GitHub, which is, um, you know, one of the unique websites in the world that is available in virtually every country of the world is not blocked or filtered by anywhere. And so intentionally placing things there um, and designing the system where it's able to operate decentralized so that individual cities can do this. And, you know, all of these pieces, they, you know, I can't say that on February 27th, I knew exactly all of those things, but, mm -hmm. you know, had an idea that we, you know, and Ramesh is communicating his thoughts and adding to his thoughts and building on that. And then, taking the input from other people and rejiggering these things that hadn't yet been built totally and being able to work with ideas and, and reorganize and shift, you know, it, it really is, um, you know, like composing a thing. I believe, I think there's a lot of similarity in that you, you have this theme that's going through your head and you're like, no, this is ultimately what I want to do. I got to figure out how to piece it all together. Yeah. I think that's really well yeah. said. Um, a lot of times when composing a piece of music, and I think this stands for any creative anything, if you have no limitations, mm -hmm. if you you have no framework that you're working within, then you're not going to come up with anything good because, you, you know, you, you just, it's, it's kind of like this little bit of whiskey, like mm -hmm. this cup gives its form, the mm -hmm. limits give it form, but if I spilled it out, it would just go... You know, mm -hmm. and it'd be nothing. Right. So um, it is all those constraints that kind of frame the problem for you a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you, you basically love them or not. You got to deal with them. And yeah, so, right. you know, you either cry about it. This is impossible to do. Or you figure out, well, hell, I got to figure out how to make this work. You know, and and you iterate and you. You know, you bang your head for a little while and somebody says something and whether it's what they literally said or if it just sparks an idea that you take off on a different tangent from that point and you get to somewhere new, you know, that's how mm -hmm. it works. You know? That's do so you, open do you, communications yeah. are really key in that, mm -hmm. those things. Then. And do you find yourself, uh, okay, so you, you get these ideas, you get to this point and then it's like, Oh well, shit! Now I've got a hole, so I got to back up and I got to plug this hole. Right. You know, is, you know, talking about HIPAA or something like that. Okay. Right. Yeah, this is great. We're oh shit! Well, we gotta we gotta we gotta plug yep. this hole. Yep. You know, uh, so now that that creates a new branch that right. we've got to right. build on. So yeah. to do this do this shit in a month, man, that just blows my mind. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um, you know and. Want to be completely clear? I did not do all of this on my own. 
Well, this is not just me doing all these things. Um, I, I, um, you know, the, the best of the, um, open source development type thing occurred with this, you know, people were showing up, people were volunteering, you know, some people came in with a, uh, you know, if you looked at the very, very first generation of the, the, the interface of the software, it was super ugly. Um, and you know, some guys showed up with this, you know, 80% built, you know, beautiful user interface that they had been working on, um, on top of what we had made public and they had been quietly working on this and just brought it to us and said, you know, can we work together on this? And just amazing, um, that you have those sorts of things happen. Yeah. Know? But I mean, for all of that, you're, you're just at the same time, you're, you're adding more pieces mm-hmm. to the chessboard, and it's right. like, how, how do these all work together? Right. You know, I mean, some of them got to come in and, and, realistically have to be creating more problems than, than helping. And and that is one of the hard things. And and again, I think I had the advantage of being the right person at the right place. Um, You know, having worked on Mycroft for all these years, um, working in the open community, there is a way of, you know, you don't want to just, someone brings you something that they've been working on for a long time. And they're like, I want to do this. You don't want to just say, well, that's a dumbass idea. <laughs> right. you know, it's crap. Even, it's crap. E- either in most of the time, few ideas are completely dumbass. You know, right. if it, if it was worth them putting that much effort into it, there is something about it that is valuable. So either telling them, you know, this is you know this is where it's problematic, and you know what can we do to eliminate those problems, or how can we do this, or maybe you know sometimes there were a few things that are like. I really like the idea. The way you implement it isn't going to work. We're going to take this idea and we're going to do it another way and bring it in. And, you know, if you can communicate that to people and if people who are coming in um, are, you know, able to step back a little bit from ego to say, you know, oh, yeah, totally. As long as it's being used and being taken in and valuable, you know, that's the best, the best of the best. And, you know, I think one of the nice things about this is, um, Throughout this process, there were, you know, everyone's tired, everyone's been working really hard, but amazingly few people have been, you know, jerks throughout this. Everyone recognizes we're doing this for the right reason is the, you know, the best possible, um, best possible reason that someone is there. You know, if they aren't being listened to, um, no one raised a massive stink. Yeah. Uh, And and, that's great. I I think you just touched on uh, one of the things I love about these discussions is we find kind of a universal truth every now and again, Mm -hmm. when you're working in a creative environment with a group of people, um, that's necessary that, you know, if someone brings an idea, you know, you need to have an open mind enough to listen to it. Even Mm -hmm. if your initial thought is this is not going to work. Yep. There could be something of value there. I think that's really important. And, and again, for the other person to bring that in, um, because you're, you're bringing in an idea that you're attached to, then you're showing vulnerability, right? you know, but at the same time, you can't, uh, just automatically get defensive and and combative, right? You know, you need to be able to take criticism. So that give and take that passing back and forth of power is really important. And, uh, in any creative endeavor. I, I just, yeah. I love that. I was trying to find a, one of the guys that uh, worked with us in this project. Um, he, uh, Rich, 
um, had been an engineering director at Google. And so, you know, he's got every right to be pretty, you know, uh, proud of what he's done. Sure. But he's the, the greatest, humblest guy. And, you know, he, he worked with us for a few weeks and then he had to step back for something. And, but he made a post that he worked on for quite a while about when you arrive to assist what to do and what not to do. And, you know, one of the things to not do is to show up and explain to everyone how great you are <laughs> and ask them, you know, so what am I supposed to do? He says, that is the least useful thing yeah. you can possibly do. What you do is you look around and you see what needs to be done. And if the trash needs to be taken out, you take the trash out. And, you know, if somebody needs, you know, uh, if if the, the ice machine is, is empty, you go figure out, is it broken and fix it or whatever it is. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is. And you start figuring out how to be of value because the people who are already there are busy doing what needs to be done and f you yeah. got to learn you got to yeah. you know you got to figure out how you fit into their group not how but, that group can change itself to fit into you and you and you should never be too proud to take the trash out yeah yeah right everyone should be able to take out the trash yeah so to be to be in a great leader you need to know how to be a good follower too i think absolutely yeah, I, I am, am a big proponent. You know, one, one of the, the interviews um, for the company that I currently work for, Das was asking someone if I was the type of person who would be willing to, you know, write a little bit of the code too, um, because he'd been used to a lot of people who were leaders who never actually dug in and, and whoever he's talking to is like, oh, oh yeah, like <laughs> he's going to be. In they weren't leaders. They were just tyrants. Right, right, yeah. right. And, you know, I, I, there are different ways of doing stuff. I'm not saying not that I'm the only anybody, one that knows yeah. how to do it. Right. But in my world, um, you know, my personal belief is I'm not going to know how to lead if I don't know what is being done on the ground. You know, mm -hmm. I've got to be at some level involved at that level to be able to decide what makes sense for them. Right. Um, you know, so. Um, late in life, Howard Hughes kind of went off the rails and stuff. But one thing I, uh, a story that I heard was that, you know, he would go at the ground level. He would do every job, mm -hmm. every job in the company. He would, he would do it and experience it. So he knew what those people were going through, knew how to, you know, direct them. Right. I right, thought right. That was, that's an impressive kind of mindset. You see what it did to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Had nothing to do with the money. It was going to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't, I, I've had the fortune of meeting a lot of people around the, through the different tech companies I've been involved in and all. Um, and really just about everyone who is, you know, entrepreneurial understands the value just getting in and doing things, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, um, so who was the biggest asshole? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I won't, I'm not going to call anyone. I'm just kidding. But I, Initials. I, think, I think there is something that anyone who started a company understands that. I think it's people who show up and take over leadership who have not 
lived through the creation mm-hmm. process, it's much more difficult for them to understand, you know, what effort it was put into making this occur and, you know, to be as sympathetic or empathetic with, you know, what is being done in the work. Um, mm-hmm. Not that none of them can, but, you know, that some of the worst examples probably have been people who were hired to be the CEO or something like that. And, you know, they just showed up and there's this functioning company. And so they're, they're looking at, oh, how can I cut costs? How can I do this? You know, and they're right. trying to do these things without, you know, Taking not, into sometimes you've got to do really it, successful. but yeah, sometimes you don't understand why this thing exists before you cut it. You need to yeah. know why it's there. It's usually there for a reason, mm-hmm. you know, things didn't get created just because they wanted to create a new department. You know, it's there for a very good reason. And if you don't believe that, and if you don't understand what that reason was and know, be able to understand, is the reason no longer there? Then that's a good reason to get rid of that. Or is it capable? Is there a new capability that can do that thing? Then, okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, if you just cut it, that reason's going to crop up again. You know? Sure. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I have for, uh, a couple of months now thought of, you know, we talk about the, uh, raising minimum wage, different mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, what if, uh, what if we just change the whole model? You know, what if everybody got, yeah, you, know, you could still have tiered pay levels, mm-hmm. but, um, instead of getting that, uh, getting that annual raise, mm-hmm. What if every year you got more time, mm-hmm. you get more time off? Yeah. You know, the, other incentives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would much ra- rather get older and have way more free time mm-hmm. than just have more money. Yeah. Uh, I mean, cause I think that would incentivize the, the, the new employees coming in, you know, to, mm-hmm. to learn these jobs so that then they go on. I don't know. That was kind of a side note there, but <laughs> yeah, I, um, I forget the name of the study or, or or the person that put it forth. But you know, they say that like after a certain making a certain amount of money, mm-hmm. your your happiness doesn't really right. increase right. at that point because you got your basic needs taken care of. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah. Yeah. you spend a little more. I mean, well, that's sure. what yeah. it boils down to. I yeah, mean, but uh, I think I'd rather have more time, especially you know. Granted, I have been working, but I've been working more from home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had a little more, more time and obviously you've heard the results of that. Yeah. He's I, been writing music like a madman. I, I like, awesome. mm-hmm. I really, really enjoy having more time and I, I, I love that, you know, I just hit uh, 10 years at the, the company I'm at. So I got a whole new, you know, a whole extra week's vacation. Mm-hmm. Well, what if I've been accruing a day mm-hmm. every year, mm-hmm. you know, right. you know, you had a fair, fair, livable wage from the start Mm -hmm. and and you know do an extra day and you know maybe offer you know a buyback at the end of the year like a lot of companies do mine doesn't Mm -hmm. i either use my days off or i lose them yeah um but you know maybe give me you know if i needed more money at the end of the year then i sell back a a week sure i don't know um, I listen to uh, <laughs> one of my favorite podcasts right now that I listen to is called The Portal um, with uh, 
a weirdly controversial figure. I don't really see how or why, but uh, Eric Weinstein, I don't know if you're familiar with, with him, um, I'm, I'm mathematician. Listen to um, him on Paul Rogan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dude, that's like kind of so smart. Sometimes it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Might be on your level. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but uh, the, he had uh, on this guy that he called, he was calling it plan B. Like Eric Weinstein was, was saying that, you know, basically uh, we're on a path, like eventually, whether it be a hundred years, thousand years, like we've been terribly lucky and we're going to destroy ourselves because our wisdom doesn't match our destructive capability or our mm-hmm. technological capability. So he says like, some of us need to get off the planet, like out of our solar system, we need to crack uh, the, mm-hmm. you know, we need, we need to unify uh, physics, find out our source code and like figure out how to create a, like a, the warp drive or something, right, right, you know right. what I mean? So that's like his plan A. This other guy said, no, well, here's plan B. Here's how we engineer a society and an eco- economy, a, a global community or whatever that can survive, mm-hmm. you know, be sustainable is not predicated on infinite growth. Cause that's gonna, you know, that's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, and like it was pretty far out there, but it was really interesting. So along your line, like taking your idea and just going like, all right, a thousand years in the future, what's things going to look like? This yeah. guy's ideas were just like really mm-hmm. interesting to me. So, uh, you know, know, talking about the sustainable growth, there, there's always been a thing that always, always got me where they, they say no energy in the universe ever ever disappears Mm -hmm. so when we die our the energy that runs our bodies you know moves into so where the hell is all the energy coming from for this population you know i mean so if if you started from one Mm -hmm. then you had two uh, you know exponential growth where right. where where did all well, that energy come food from? and plants and stuff that's consumed you know well and, and ultimately so, right now but it's then, being fed you're gonna by burn the sun. that out you but know? it's ultimately right. being fed by the sun yeah. so for so we're, something's gonna give right <laughs> yeah so you know at some stage when the sun burns out right that's where things really go down but with the planet has been literally absorbing energy from the sun every single day yeah since back then and that's where dinosaurs absorbed it and became oil and gas right Mm -hmm. so that's really what keeps us rolling on our planet yeah um but yeah at some stage it goes away right yeah and um or you know like say turns into something else right right it stays but there isn't any more to add to it right Right, right. and nothing more for us to take right right yeah yeah, and that's sort of the the ultimate depressing, you know, if you look at one of the theories of the universe is that, you know, as their universe spreads, it, it's not that it burns out, it just it gets gray and dull and everything becomes the same temperature and all energy just sort of stops. It, everything just stops moving. Yeah. And, you know, this this big bang spreads and there's, you know, this incredibly compressed amount of mass and energy that's spread out and now it's continuing to spread and will continue to spread until finally sort of all the momentum breaks down all the energy spreads evenly across the whole thing and it's just great now, now isn't there another theory that it, it, it will get so big and then it will retract i think that that's been proven that it it you know the universe is speeding up you would think that if that was the case it would be, be slowing, slowing down, down. 
I, so I, I think that's pretty I much I always wondered proven. if there if there was such a thing as a universal inertia. So like yeah, it, when no, it starts I, yeah, slowing down, does everybody get light? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, deep thoughts on one of the great off the edge podcasts. Yeah. Oh, I love it. This is what I live for. This stuff, man. This is great. This, this is, is what happens when you give me whiskey. So you know, you find out these new things. You know, and and uh, some of the some of the most brilliant and um, people I've known have PhDs in physics, and at the end of that their uh their their philosophy i think is often well i understand the laws of the universe so i can solve any problem <laughs> you know i, I know it all <laughs> on this stage physics uh, sucks <laughs> oh i see i find like if i was a younger man right now i could see myself really just diving into that mm -hmm. you know like i I, so have, did Quentin. I do not have yeah, I do not have the mathematical uh you know know-how and background to really dive in and and really digest all that all that stuff but I find it fascinating. Yeah, well and I and I don't think that the the Quentin he's my oldest son. He's a he's a Palmer chemistry major. Mm -hmm. Um I don't think he doesn't still find it fascinating. Right. He's just, just like this. He sucks. Breaking my brain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, and one of the failings I think of the way math is taught is it's taught in isolation. So, like, you yes. know, calculus. Why does calculus exist? Because of physics. That it was created to solve problems in physics, and it's not necessarily taught that way though it's taught independently and so you're doing all these things and you're like why am i doing why am i doing integration yeah. this sounds stupid you know this whole entire process I, I i specifically remember um if you ever did anything with matrix uh math and matrix multiplication and it's this this convoluted process where you're multiplying this by that and why the hell i i, I literally remember thinking this is the dumbest thing ever um, well now, you know, five years down the road, I started doing things in computer, uh, computer 3d, uh, graphics and you can use matrix multiplication and multiply a vector by a matrix to do a, a perspective transformation. So at X, Y, Z coordinate, mm -hmm. that's how you make it look like a point on the screen, okay. you know, so games like doom, that's how, that's like what makes it work graphics to make those 3d of, graphics that right. as you spin around everything just changes it's because you change this matrix and you multiply all those pixels all those those points defining the scene again and you have the new scene trans transmuted from a new perspective <laughs> if they had taught math along with you know a game design class simultaneously mm -hmm. all right guys we're going to learn to do matrix multiplication because that's how we're going to be able to start doing 3d games yeah. that would completely change the game everyone would be like oh hell yeah i want to learn how to do yeah. that um you know there's so much of the the math that gets presented i think in ways that you don't i realize just far practical application yeah i yeah, always that, struggled with that i took um statistics in mm -hmm. college mm -hmm. and i struggled so hard with that and then I took, uh, I went to further my education in the business school, and I took business statistics. It was all the same math, and I aced it with no problem because I saw the reasons. Yeah, I yeah. saw like how why we were doing things. Like the steps made sense. Then they weren't right. some abstract thought. 
and and hard to remember. Right, right. It would have worked too if you were a baseball fan. Yeah, yeah, probably so. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 statistics in baseball are amazing, and you know I. I, I'm I'm one team baseball fan, and I don't dive into statistics, but they have statistics for everything. Yeah, everything, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they could tell you what ball player twisted his you know twisted yeah. his foot in the dirt three times before you know yeah. he hit a home run. Right, right, you know? right. <laughs> it's just amazing, and, and that that's a whole career. Yeah, you right. know, and then applying those statistics, you know, to well, statistically on a Third at bat on a sunny day in yeah. this stadium by a 33-year-old with a knee injury from four weeks ago. Yeah. He's going to just have this and this happen. Yeah, and, and because yeah. of that, you'll see the whole infield shift over because right. statistically he's going to hit it here. Right, right, know? right, right. And so the the whole adage you know, started back in the, the 20s of hit the ball where it ain't. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. or hit the ball where they ain't. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's just adding that improbability into the these people's statistics mm-hmm. because the statistics are so good. I think a lot of times that's why people think modern baseball's boring. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah, if if it's not out of the park, then ninety nine percent of the time they're going to get out. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of those people. I think it's horribly boring. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, you know, I don't think it's obvious to most people, but um, most of what people call artificial intelligence nowadays and and machine learning, what that actually is, is applied statistics. So statistics basically tell you historically, this is what's happened, right? Machine learning is basically just being able to take that historical data and make a prediction, just apply yeah. probabilities it's to it. It's applying that probability. Right. So, and, and that probability can be applied in so many different ways. So, you know, historically, when I hear this pattern of sound waves, that has meant that someone spoke these words. And that's how machine learning is able to transcribe, you know, a voice into written words. Is it has just listened to, you know, it's trained on tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of recordings of someone speaking and then a transcription of what that speaking, what that person said. And it's learned through that's the statistics of that. And then it's making a prediction based off of those statistics. I mean, that's, that's what machine learning is for pretty much completely machine learning for idiots. <laughs> but, but, you know, but, but on top of that, millions of that, they're, they're still limited by by that those probabilities right and it can only predict what it has seen so you know there are limitations and that's i think where human brain continues to have an advantage over a machine brain you know this artificial intelligence right now it doesn't have epiphanies it can often see things and sometimes they can see patterns better than a human can Mm-hmm. Um, and discern subtleties better than a human can, but it's never going to, you know, make a leap of intuition. It just doesn't exist. Um, and you know, whether it's a, a random neuron firing that makes it happen or whether it's the whiskey you just drank or whatever it is that humans Do you have. think that that's a computational problem or do you think, uh, something else like, I mean, consciousness is, a uh, 
weird, funny. Right, right. Um, it's unquantifiable uh, at this point. At yeah, least. you know, is, will there ever be a machine that is able to be intuitive? I don't know. You know, it's going to have to yeah. be far larger than any machine that exists today, for sure. Um, well, I, you know, uh, we are machines. You know, we're biological machines, right, but right. we are machines. So will it happen? Yeah, in our lifetimes? Probably not. But I, th- I think it will happen. Uh, something other than us is going to have to become self-aware. Hmm. Um, you know, whether or not that's... I, th- I think we probably need to unlock just how our brains work, probably. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that... One of the companies I worked for previously was a, a company called Gene Network Sciences. And, and um, one of the things that fascinated me was we were doing some work with uh, cardiac tissue and you would think that you know the human heart the biology and and the the physiology behind it we've been studying that sort of stuff for you know hundreds of years if not thousands of years and you think it'd be pretty well understood but there is still or at least as of 10 years ago there was still a huge debate over how many types of cells there are in a heart, you know, is it actually just one type of cell or are there seven types of cells or somewhere in between? Um, you know, there's, there is a lot that at the most fundamental basic biological level, they still don't have a definitive answer for, mm-hmm. um, you know, so our, our brains, you know, we have a reasonable guess of, you know, how neurons and memory and all that works, but it's still not yeah, actually still truly, totally understood. Well, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, when, when did they uh, kind of discover, um, like DNA? Mm-hmm. Was it was it like the? Been a few years, but yeah, not, I mean, uh, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a really short amount of time, right? Right. So, um, again, we live in exciting times where there's, I think, there's breakthroughs. Probably something really simple mm-hmm. that just when someone figures it out, we'll be like, oh. Uh, it was that was it it was right there was, I, i'm just waiting for the kung fu port <laughs> yeah, right yeah, yeah. yeah do the neo thing yeah <laughs> yeah when I, when I was in high school i i got uh invited to this program i was able to go up to um it's a place called fermi lab outside of chicago which is uh, particle physics um uh, particle collider and um there at that time, you know, they were still sorting out sort of the, the really low level, you know, what are quarks and, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all of those, what is the universe made of was the smallest part piece of, 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 you know, below atoms and, and right. below neutrons and, you know, what is actually down there and, um, you know, looking for that unified theory of the universe. And, and one of the goals was they were hoping to get it small enough you could print it on a t-shirt you know if it's bigger than that it's it's too complicated to actually explain everything you know that it should it felt like it should be explainable by a few very very basic principles right. kind of like how einstein's stuff boiled down to e, e equals mc right, squared right right there's yeah. got to be something super super simple like right. that which i'm sure it was a long complicated process to get to that right but right, then right. you boil it down and it's right, right. super simple yeah like duh, I'm sure that I'm sure it's right there in front of their faces. One one of the other things I thought was cool when I was up there, they were still working. This is before like chaos theory and string theory and all that. So they were 
dozens of theories that were bouncing around. And, and one of the theories that uh, was apparently um, like this 14-dimensional universe that these guys were working on and trying to figure it out. And, and for one, it was incredibly difficult for anyone to envision and imagine what this 14-dimensional universe would work like. And, mm-hmm. and someone realized that everyone, or at least most of the people working on that, were actually blind. Really? And so they weren't as constrained in their visualization yeah. because yeah. of the fact they weren't constrained by that. Um, again, going back to the podcast that I really like, the portal, uh, Eric Weinstein it has is trying to take a shot at that, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, in a theory. Uh, it's not a theory, I guess. Maybe it's a hypothesis of that he calls geometric unity, mm-hmm. which he starts out with, um, you know, uh, um, four dimensions because that's what we can perceive. I'm mm-hmm. guessing that's why mm-hmm. he starts there mm-hmm. and he doesn't define space different than time. Mm-hmm. He just says four dimensions. And then using rulers and protractors, he gets to 14 dimensions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then just starting at that basic, basic starting point mm-hmm. and then try, try to go to there, but to, uh, unify, um, the geometry used in, uh, uh, quantum mm-hmm. and the end in field theory, right? Trying right. to unify those two things mm-hmm. instead of trying to quantize gravity or, right. yeah, or something like that. Right, um, right. Which, again, I have no idea how the math works, <laughs> but right. I find it fascinating. Right, right. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah. We're over my head, but, you know, I like swimming in the deep end, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I love the ideas of, of perception, you know, and how the the same world we're looking at like uh oh, what's the what's the name of that um uh, I'm totally spacing out on this there's a there's a great youtube video about these things that uh can punch faster than the speed of sound um uh, are they uh crab uh, yeah it's like a crab thing I yeah think. yeah but they've also got seven different cones so you know we basically yes. have three cones and there are a few humans that have four well these guys have seven cones so they're seeing colors that you know, looking at the same thing that I'm looking at, they see it in a completely different way than I'm able to. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's just sort of mind blowing, you know, what can the world look like if you had that additional set of sensors that, <laughs> you know, that I'm, that I don't have. Right. Right. You know, it's like the looking at the blind person, what, how are they limited? Um, and that they can't see at all. Well, I'm, I'm only half, blind to this creature, you know, because yeah. I can only see half of what it's able to perceive. It'd be like the, be like the predator. <laughs> right. <infrared>. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shift through different spectrums. Yeah. Yeah. We make movie references quite often. Yeah. <laughs> all okay. Movies. I make movie references quite often. And, and I, I live my life by the silver screen. Right. And he makes me realize just how crappy I am at, at uh, remembering all the references. Movie trivia. When I thought I was good at it before, <laughs> but no. I can remember the movies. I can't remember the actors. Yeah, I'm, I'm horrible with names. You know, I, I am with, am too. with most people, but I do all right with actors. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you about movies I've never even seen just because I've seen the trailer and it stuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's your superpower huh? i guess you yeah know. it is yeah he'll sit there and quiz me a lot of times be like what is this from i'm like dude i don't know quit well, torturing me you know, I, you know i've done that to my kids quentin 
Quentin has risen to the challenge. He's still not as good as the old man, but yeah, he's getting pretty good. He is. He is. It's nothing better than watching your kids get better and better. <laughs> yeah, you know, my, my son's he's getting he's getting pretty close. We'll see. Yeah. He's, he's definitely better at some things than I am. I, you know, uh, it, it's heartbreaking because I, I have a feeling that I have Alzheimer's in my future because there's there's little times where I'll I should know it mm-hmm. and I just don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't matter if it's you know not family or you know, if I don't know something movie related, then then there's there's a there's a problem. <laughs> That's how they'll know. <laughs> yeah, a wire got knocked loose. Time to, time to put him down. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think uh, uh, going forward? Like, uh, like you mentioned, your son. Um, you know, my daughters, your your sons. Uh, like the future of um, fields like computer science, uh, um, you know, AI, mm-hmm. uh, all these things. Um, do you see a bright future for for young people getting into these fields and and it is the I don't know how to frame it but uh are the tools there for them to really get in there and get their hands dirty with it and mm-hmm. and take it take the next step with it? Yeah, I think um so when I was first starting in computers, you know, it was back in the IBM PC days, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the, the original, original PC and, uh, and, you know, Peter Norton, and you had to understand assembly language and you had to understand the way memory was laid out and the way you drew things on screen was actually poking values into memory. And, you know, it all built up. And for years I was, I wondered, you know, how in the world is anyone because it took me you know a decade of build up all this knowledge to be able to do the things i was able to do it's like how is anyone ever going to start and um then around the the days of windows emerging and that created kind of uh what they what they called the hardware abstraction layer so it allowed you to sort of uh, ignore what happened under the hood you just yes. knew this abstraction of well here's a screen and don't worry about exactly how it does it but you do these things and stuff appear on the screen it's like okay that allowed us to get over that hurdle of having to learn all of this information and and you know object oriented allowed you to treat things as objects rather than having to understand what the object did to implement the problem like what was actually going on but mechanically yeah, or, or right right yeah. you're just operating with this thing you don't have to know why the drill spins when you pull the trigger just when you pull the trigger it doesn't spin anything and it makes holes <laughs> that's all you got to understand um so that allowed the software industry to progress for a while um then we got to the point where you know i think in like the late 90s um a lot of the a lot of the the things that needed to be solved for computers themselves was solved. And it went into an era of, of applying computer science to other fields. So, you know, the, the first years it was really about writing, creating the spreadsheet and creating the, the, the word processor and all that. And that was building up this thing. But now once you had those things in place, it became, you know, how do you use these tools in 
the field of you know music and video mm-hmm. you know and became video editor tools and mm-hmm. and then how do you use it in the the field of traffic you know so like the, my company the traffic engineering world hadn't been touched since the 70s but we added this ability to use video cameras and analyze traffic flow and start changing the pattern of the lights with computers that could do this instantaneous analysis. And so it it was really about finding different domains and applying that knowledge in that other domain. Um, And I think computers have done a good job of that throughout. I think Mm -hmm. there's gonna be more of that sort of hybrid thinking of, you know, how do I apply this knowledge from this area over in this other area in a way that that is productive you know right right uh, and so i don't think we're out of new thoughts i'll put it that way okay you know, i think there's a lot of 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 you know combining like ballet with um mechanical engineering to create a robot that can walk and do things you know i think there's stuff like that you know completely unrelated seemingly fields that can come together and mm-hmm produce something that neither field independently would have been able to do. Okay. So um, maybe more task oriented than. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't even know how to limit it exactly. I think right. that humans are creative. They, you know, they've, they, I think it's going to be, I hope that, um, that there's, well, Combining with a couple other things, so going back to what you were talking about, like minimum wage, mm-hmm. uh, and and minimum wage actually being extended into like the idea of a minimum livable wage, right? Where as a society we're getting close to the point where um, scarcity is no longer what should be driving us. You know, we've got automation, we've got um, you know technology to produce more and more food, we've got technology to produce labor that isn't human labor to produce the food and all that. Mm-hmm. So we're getting to a point where abundance is, is more uh, the, the, the norm than scarcity. And so, you know, if you look across history, it used to be you woke up and from the moment you woke up, you were fighting to lot to stay alive, you know, and you're right. having to find food and you're having to fight off, you know, creatures and you're having to uh, find somewhere to spend the next night and hopefully survive to the next morning and to do it all over again. And then we got to, you know, the, the societies that start working together. So you get to like sleep in peace without being worried that a tiger is going to eat you or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you got to where you had specialization. So you don't mm-hmm. have to know how to make your own clothes. Somebody else can make clothes for you and you can get really good at doing this one thing. Right. And uh, the idea of a weekend emerged, you know, and, there are two days you don't have to work. And then, you know, the ideas of a 40 hour work week came along. And so I think over and historically, you don't have to go work in a factory when you're five anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah and you have, you have 18 years of your life where you get to just learn and, and, yeah. and, and, and then you have a retirement, you know? And so I think all of these things have, have grown to less and less necessity to work. And so I think, I think society's getting close to that next level of, I don't know if it's you don't work ever, um, but it's more of you have either maybe it's only a 20 hour work week or maybe it's a minimum wage that guarantees you can eat and live. 
but then you are able to apply yourself in whatever other way. So, you know, I know Dutch, the Dutch have experimented with this idea of a, a basic income. And as a result of that, people are able to become sculptors and invest, you know, six months of their life in learning to do some new technique without worried about how do I pay my bills while I'm learning this thing. And as a society, I think there's probably a lot of value in that. I think we may need to learn how to deal with ways of encouraging people, you know, not because it is comfortable to just sit and watch Netflix, right? Right and, right. and so how do you fight against that? And, and how do you incentivize that? Um, but ultimately, I think there's still tons of things to be discovered. And, you know, humans are good at that. And, and allowing us to do that is where I hope I'm getting. And I hope I'm getting my kids to the point where they are able to synthesize all these things that are around them in new and unique ways. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, be ultimately, I think people want to be creative. You know? Right. That's why most people have a hobby that is creative in some way. Right. Like, I love the idea, uh, not s saying anything on the, you know, validity of a UBI or, or not saying I'm against capitalism. I'm not trying to mm -hmm. make any kind of statement like that, but I love the idea of a person mm -hmm. just being able to devote time mm -hmm. to, like obscure techniques mm -hmm. or something to further an art form or to further a field in some way that's going to benefit, you know, all of humanity, either in some of it, either in, in just enhance their enjoyment of life somehow with some art or, you know, creating a product that will enrich someone's life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and, and, just, just philosophically, you know, I like that. Yeah. I, I want that for it. It, it doesn't even have to be, a contributor to society. I just like to have people to have something, you know, like uh, yeah, living a meaningful life. Well, just, just to not get up, go to work, do your job mm -hmm. to, to pay the bills, but you're too freaking exhausted. When you get home, you veg out for Netflix and you go to bed, mm -hmm. you know, and then repeat yeah. the process mm -hmm. there. Yeah. You might get, have some fun watching a season of tiger King, but you know, there's, there's nothing rewarding mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. There's nothing enriching to your life. So it's through it's, the motions you until you're gone. Been, I mean, it's figuring out the incentives. Right. Right. And I think, I think that that's again, something that this virus has kind of seen. It's like, we, right. we've got a lot of bad incentives in place in in certain places yeah but i also think you know there people are learning after having sat for whatever four weeks in a house watching netflix it ain't that fun <laughs> right right <laughs> you know? well at some uh, point you need to do something you want to do things yeah, yeah. there, there yeah. is an innate desire i think to do things and to be in some way productive yeah. like the guy with the clock Mm -hmm. Yeah, the guy with the clock. Like, man, I want to do something meaningful. Like, mm -hmm. I want to put my stamp on the world mm -hmm. somehow. Mm -hmm. I'm going to build this clock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I honestly think we the all best need to build our clocks, man. The best incentive through this whole thing, and and it may not be uniquely American, but it's definitely an American trait, is the fact that we were told not to do do this mm -hmm. yeah, yeah so now everybody's incentivized oh well we gotta do this you know I, the the fact that you're told not oh, yeah. to and i feel it myself like like i i totally agree that social social distancing is the right move 
Like, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. But the government or an authority figure telling me that I have to do that, I'm just like, that's not American. Right, you know, right, right. you know, you like, know. My, I'm, my, I'm gonna do it because I think it's the right thing to do, but yeah, not because yeah. you told me. <laughs> yeah, but, but and, and you know, you get you get both sides of it because you know, you got that one kid in class that won't shut up, and so you, the whole class can't go out to recess. Right. That's that's that teacher is the government. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And and I get that perspective, but the flip side of that is if you were in that class, and the teacher just walked out the door and said, y'all take care of it. You know, and somebody's going to have a soap party and beat the shit out of that kid and they're going to go out and have recess. Right. So, you know, if they just made it legal for us to take care of idiots, you know. <laughs> It'd be like the, the purge movies. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, the point being is that there's no real right answer there. No, I know. Yeah. And I mean, I I totally get both sides of it. I don't want the government telling me what to do, but they're not in my, in from my perspective, they're not telling me what to do because I'm already doing what I need to do. Yeah. That, it's that's it's that asshole out there yeah. that, mm-hmm. you know, is like, woo, America. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's, but yeah. It's always a guy going, party. Yeah, ripping his shirt off. Yeah, you know, all the people on spring Fire break in Florida and ah, shit. You know, yeah. 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 and you know, one of the hard things is also sometimes realizing the value of what somebody's done, and you know, maybe it'll be years before the value even comes to light. There's a uh, there's a, a division of math called Bayesian mathematics, and it's all based on basically this monk you know, a couple hundred years ago that uh, was recording a bunch of things about plants. And um, at the time, it probably looked pretty idiotic that he's sitting there, he's measuring leaves and he's doing all this stuff. And we're like, what are you doing? And he's you know, just writing all this stuff down for years. He was doing this stuff. And and it became a, a basics of, of, of how to do probabilistic predictions of things. Um, but it took years of what looked like stupid effort to make that happen. Or, um, you know, there's another guy that I worked with at GNS. There was a, a branch of mathematics that, um, for better or worse, the guy that created it was um, um, enamored with the idea that it was completely useless. And he loved that he was creating this branch of mathematics that only existed for cerebral reasons. And, um, <laughs> and unfortunately, we started doing something with it that, that actually had value. And uh, this this guy that's disappointed. Well, he was dead. He'd been <laughs> oh, dead for yeah. about a hundred years. <laughs> oh, but a hundred years ago, he was thrilled by the how how pure this thing was that it had no practical value at all. And and uh, Robert used to always laugh about this. You know how the guy's got to be flipping in his grave because we figured out a way to use it. <laughs> right. <laughs> no? Right. I, right. I I think the the that that COVID is just like the movie The Happening. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Nature's taken back. Yeah. But I, I think that point is interesting. And, and again, this is kind of like a, maybe a philosophical point um, that it would be really great if we could magically wave our magic wand and just mm-hmm. make it so that people could explore. Mm-hmm. Just, just do those things that don't have any practical short-term gains, you know, 
but maybe our grandchildren will benefit from that. Right. Yeah. I, I love that that long-term perspective. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I think we're also No, I don't either, but I think we're closer. It's just some of the I don't think it's distributed equitably yet, you know. Mm-hmm. I think more people could invest more time in different ways. You know, we don't do you need to retire at 60? Maybe not, you know. Maybe there are other ways of figuring out how to spread the the free time, you know, like yeah. so I think the value of time is starting to dawn on people, you know, how much it would, how great it would be to not be in a car for two hours commuting, yeah. you know, how great it would be to, um, you know, have a day a week to concentrate on whatever your personal passion is, you know, or, you know, just, just to have the energy mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. get, get home, Right. When you when you're done with your day, right? Yeah, uh, a lot of times that's what holds me back. And sure. you know, I don't walk Same. all day. Yeah, <laughs> no, I I get home and then I've got a, a two year old at home that right. needs my attention, and then right. she goes to bed. You know, and then I might have an hour. Right. Right. And I'm pooped. <laughs> right. Yep. So you watch Tiger King. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. I still haven't watched that. No, I haven't watched it either. But Brooke watched it and told me all about it, so I feel like I know it. Plus, I've seen all the memes. I'm a, right. I, I just you know, Carol Baskin. Yeah, fucking bitch. <laughs> Saw a coworker of mine had a, a package addressed to that B Carol Baskins. It's like all right, that's pretty good. Did you see my my uh, Liger King? No, <laughs> I did a mashup. I took the Tiger King, mm-hmm. basically. I I don't know if it was a mugshot, but it's head on, and then put Napoleon's face over it. Yeah, so, the Liger King. <laughs> Getting some traction on that one. See, it's right. that kind of creativity. I'm gonna ask you maybe one final question. It's an easy right. question. Are we living in a simulation? I do not believe we're living in a simulation. No. Okay. How about that flat earth? Total, total <laughs> no. flat earther here. Yeah, you know, I don't, no, I don't. I, 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 no. I think, I think the, I just think the, the simulation um, argument is a fun argument. So I thought I'd ask you what you thought of it. But I, um, do you have anything else you want to share with us on? No, no, it's been fun. Awesome. It well, is. It where is. can people, uh, Again, where can people download the app? So if you're interested in what we're doing, if you go to covidsafepaths.org, that'll get you, you can learn about what we're doing. You'll have, uh, you know, information on this, have information on the app. Now, one of the things that I do want to make clear is when you first install the app, most places don't have, because this is designed around a system involving the healthcare authorities. So when you first put it on your phone here in Kansas, there are no healthcare authorities making use of the system yet. Mm-hmm. However, it is still useful, if nothing else, to keep track of where you have been so that once the system does get online here, then you already have that history behind you. And, you know, you're able to use that information to help protect the, you know, those you love and the, your community um, this is, is, is of immediate value to allow that history to start building up. Awesome. Uh, another side question with mm-hmm. that, um, 
would so let's say uh, you had it installed on Livy's phone. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's tracking all her information mm-hmm. or her location. Say she was abducted. Mm-hmm. Would he, as a parent, is there any kind of access for that? Because then it is, it is on the phone. So if she had it in her pocket, okay. there's nothing you can do about it. Okay. You know? For better or worse. Yeah. That's yeah. The, 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 the cost of privacy is, you know, that little bit of there, there's always a that bit of thing, you know, how yeah, can well, yeah. I, how can I get a little more information out of this and, right. you know, being able to upload it automatically, wouldn't that solve that problem? And it might, you yeah. know, and, but who has access but, to it? Yeah, yeah. 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 That's the next question, you know, what, why are you doing that? And, you know, is the cost of doing that worth it? Right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, if people want to connect with you or, or if you want to give out that information, <laughs> where could they find you on social media or anything like that? Um, I do not uh, do a ton of social media in, um, you can find me, you know, probably easiest way, uh, on LinkedIn. Um, you're able to connect up with me there, Steve Penrod. Um, uh, if you go to, um, my company, triple blind market, um, which is actually an extension, triple blind dot market. Um, there's a little bit of information about what we do there, but it's not directly consumer technology that we're doing, but you can see, you know, we've got some blogs of what we're, what we talk about and what we're doing and, uh, why we're doing and why, why privacy is an important thing. It's not Mm -hmm. always obvious. It sounds like it's a highfalutin thing, but it has very specific, um, values to, society when we're able to guarantee privacy it allows us to do more things together i think more and more people are talking about privacy now i mean there for a while everyone said oh my privacy and then yeah click the the button that gives away all my privacy (laughs) yeah without reading anything but right it's super important i'm glad that you're uh you know concentrating on that um really appreciate all the work that you're doing with with this application to track and uh help prevent uh the spread of the coronavirus. Um, man, thank you so much for spending your valuable time and the little bit of time that you have with us. Appreciate it. Like I said, it's nice to, uh, nice to stop thinking about that for a wee bit and, you know, have opportunity to talk about predator and, (laughs) and, uh, and Dune and all those other wonderful things that exist in this world. Awesome. Well, I hope when you have uh, a moment, I'm sure that there's a million other things that we could, uh, you know, talk about, and I hope you'll come back. I would love to. Awesome. Thank you so much. You have more time. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you very much. You've been uh, off the edge with Steve Penrod. I hope that you will all uh, find us on YouTube. Please subscribe and hit that little bell icon to be notified of new episodes. And you can find us on Google podcasts and uh, just about every other, um, place uh what's the other one? uh spotify of course yes so please subscribe share with your friends we appreciate you thanks Peace.